0: Today on Locked On Red Wings, they complete the comeback beating the Pittsburgh Penguins 5-4 to four in overtime. Jake Wallman gets the game winner and hits the gritty in the process. You're Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings Podcast. I am your host Brian Fisher. I'm a podcast producer for the Daily JWWJ News Radio Podcast. Uh, Scotty is out today. He is out of town. Uh, he's down uh, down south visiting family. And uh, today was originally a scheduled day off for us. I was also going to be out of town, but then I got sick and I got really sick on Tuesday, which is why we didn't record. I'm a lot better today. Good enough to go. I probably still sound. Uh, pretty sick, and you might see me mute the mic a couple times to, to cough a little bit, but nothing was gonna stop me from recording after that heck of a comeback. A five to four victory after the Red Wings were down four to nothing at the end of the first period, four to nothing on what 12 shots. Just a you know, coming into the second period, I was not I, I was confident I would not say this was a great game, but it was a great game. The Red Wings had 46 shots. To end the game on Casey DeSmith. And man, he laid it all out there. To give credit where credit's due, before I get into how I thought the Red Wings really recouped after an abysmal first period, I, I want to give Casey DeSmith credit because he laid it all out there. He made 41 saves in this game. And yeah, his save percentage is going to show 891. But if you're a goaltender and you make 40 plus saves, that's not a failure on your part. That's a failure on your defense's part. That's a failure on your team's part. They did not back him up after a fantastic first. They let their foot off the gas pedal and just let the Red Wings walk all over them. And, you know, credit to the Red Wings as well as they regrouped. But, man, Casey DeSmith was great in this game. But um, on that note, before I get into the actual game itself, uh, news and notes that I would have gotten to yesterday if we had recorded. Uh, Jacob Verana three-game AHL stint with the Grand Rapids Griffins. Game one is happening. Uh, as we are talking, it might be about wrapping up as far as I know, they are down three to one and he doesn't have a point in this game. The best thing he's done so far is, or the most notable thing, I won't say the best thing, but the most notable thing he's done so far is draw a penalty, um, on a nice head fake play. Lack of production does not mean lack of, you know, making things happen though. It's his first game back first professional game back since October. So as much as I would love to see him tear it up in the AHL, you know, let's, let's temper those expectations a little bit. Um, I know I tweeted about it, like oh he's gonna tear it up, but uh, let's be honest with ourselves. It might take him a little bit longer to get back in the swing of things. And then also, uh, we're still doing the Kubelik, uh stick giveaway that ends on Sunday, so uh, it's Twitter only. So just go to our Twitter, follow Scotty and I and the podcast, and just retweet it, and you'll be entered to win. And then we'll announce that winner probably uh, it'll be on Monday's episode, so it'll be the second. So New Year's, the day after New Year's, will be it when it gets announced. But yes, the Red Wings bounced back. Uh, they, they had a week off and going into that first period coming out of that first period, I should say, I was pretty down bad on how this team was performing. And you know, there's a big argument to be made here. They won their game. what seven to four against Tampa last Wednesday, snapping their six game losing streak. And you know, momentum was looking to finally go on their side. That was a good win against a really good Tampa Bay team. And they, they showed up when the team needed or when the team needed a win for sure. And that game on Friday got canceled because of the snow. Now there are two schools of thought that occur here. One is okay, good. They'll be able to get well-rested for the game next Wednesday and heal up. The other one is, is okay. Well, any momentum they're going to have is going to be gone. And one thing I tend to notice is the narrative is whatever it, fits at that time. And that's just something that Scottie always say is if it fits your narrative and going into this, I thought for sure it would be Red Wings are down four to nothing. They lost their momentum, but the counter argument would have could have been, well, there should be more rested um, Pittsburgh to their credit. Well, I don't know if this is to their credit, but they have played a game already. I think they played the night before and they got shelled. So they came out in the first period with a chip on their shoulder and the Red Wings looked like a team that hadn't played in a week. Now, well rested, you know, second and third period would, say they probably were. Uh Pittsburgh well could have been fatigued because they played the night before and then put it all out there in the first period because they were angry. Regardless, the Pittsburgh Penguins heavily outplayed the Detroit Red Wings in the first period and you cannot rely on a five-goal comeback in 45 minutes to win hockey games and this is something we've discussed time and time again. This is not a recipe for long uh, elongated success in the NHL. But I will not complain, especially with how abysmal that first period was with the history that has happened. Last year, they scored 11 goals on the Detroit Red Wings, if I'm recalling correctly off the top of my head, in Pittsburgh. So this is the first game in Pittsburgh since they shelled the Red Wings and put 11 goals on them. And it looked early like it was going to be that way again. I think I tweeted out the first period, don't worry, guys. They're only going to get outscored 12 to nothing at this rate. And they they turned it around. And you know, part of the reason is, and I, I hate to say this, and, you know, I don't know if this is for sure the reason. I think that a big part of the reason also is that they just, you know, finally knocked the, the dust off and the rust off after that first period and came out ready in the second. But, you know, Huso didn't necessarily look his sharpest either. It was a complete team rust. I mean, in the defensive zone in that first period, they looked horrible. Just absolutely horrible. Defensive breakdowns led to at least the three of those goals against Phil Peronick, uh, defensive breakdown, Jake Wallman, defensive breakdown, Ben Sherratt, defensive breakdown, defensive breakdowns all across the board. And it wasn't just the defense. Obviously the offense wasn't in position to pick up the late guy. They weren't on the half walls, winning the battles in the defensive zone. They just looked lost in the first period. And that's something that we've seen time and time again. And again, the Red Wings allowed a goal in the first five minutes of the game. And that was the one goal. That was the, they scored a goal on their first shot. And that this is, these are the trends that we have seen out of this Red Wings team is looking lost in the defensive zone, goals with less than five minutes into the game, Uh, goals on like the first two or three shots in the game. Things like that are things that have been recurring problems that the Red Wings have had all season long, but how they responded is what is really important in this game. And they responded very, very well in that the second and third period was night and day, night and day compared to the first. And when we get into the second segment, uh, I'm going to flash up the the uh, win probability chart that evolving hockey has, because it's honestly pretty hilarious that even up until the Red Wings scored that game tying goal, the <laughs> probability was like here. And then whew, it dropped all the way to the Red Wings side of the chart after that game tying goal, because it was such an improbable comeback that they had. And I'm not going to spend, I'm going I'm to wrap up my ramblings on the first period, because that's not what we're here to talk about. My, my thoughts on the first period is the team can't play flat in any single period alone has said it. You have to play a perfect 60 minutes if you want to win hockey games. And, you know, they got away with not having to do that in this game. They played a perfect 45 minutes after an abysmal first 20. But that comeback is really what we should be focusing on. That comeback that the Red Wings had after the first 20 is really where they shined. And, of course, it starts with the change in net. Magnus Halberg came in, and he looked great in this game. He was significantly less challenged um, than Husso was in the second and third period than Huso was in the first. Huso faced 12 shots in the first well, uh, Magnus Helberg faced just 19 in the second, third, and overtime combined. But that's partially because the team played a lot better. But, you know, credit to where credit is due. Magnus Helberg, in his 45 minutes of time on the ice, played really, really well. Obviously, like I said, he made 19 saves on 19 shots. But he had, goal, he had a goal saved above expected of two. 2.01. So even if you take out the fact that, you know, he only played 45 minutes and only faced 19 shots against, he still saved and expected two goals against. And that's a credit to how well he came in in this game and, and backed up the team. And I think a little bit of the goaltender change may have sparked the team, whether or not you believe in that. That's, that's a common philosophy in the NHL and in uh, hockey culture is that the change of the goaltender is meant to light a spark under the team that you're not doing enough. You know, it's not necessarily a, a slight on the goaltender, but a slight on the team for not supporting him and just kind of throwing the goaltender, obviously, a life preserver before he drowns. But, you know, Magnus Helberg came in and he, he locked it down. Um, a 2.0, again, 2.01 expected goals against in this game. He, he looked solid. And then, you know, when we get into segment two, I'll break down the rest of the game, but power play goals, um, extended zone pressure, Things that we talk about are what led you on this comeback. And of course, just shots, um, shot shots. It's crazy. So when we come back, we'll talk about that and more, but first I got to talk to you guys about driving sober. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride? Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over anyways? And even so, What are the, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you totally your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows that the risks of driving drunk, the results are tragic and awfully, often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel and under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on the roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Segment two, lockdown Red Wings podcast. We're talking about the five to four comeback victory the Red Wings had over the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we talked about a little bit in segment two that, you know, obviously Magnus Hellberg was a huge part of that coming in in relief of Billy Huso making 19 of 19 saves, expected goals or goals saved above expected of 2.01. Uh great performance by him. He's the presumed starter in tomorrow's second half of this back to back. But let's talk a little bit about what led to your success in this comeback outside of the goaltending, outside of the crease. And the first thing that pops in my pops in front of my face is obviously shot totals. Shot totals in this game, 46 shots on net. Anytime you score, I'm sorry, anytime you shoot the puck on net, on net. 46 times in a single game you're more than likely going to win that game and regardless i was still shocked that you won this game just because you were down four to nothing to begin with that's a steep hole to put yourself in but more often than not you're going to win that game and you did in this case and it's not just the 46 shots but also you were doing in set periods two and three what pittsburgh was doing in uh period one which was taking advantage of turnovers taking advantage of defensive collapses and just being there for the rebound. I mean, if you look at David Perron's game tying goal, you'll get Jonathan Bergeron's goal. You'll get Dylan Larkin's goal. Just came from being in the end at the net with your stick on the ice and being ready. That's how you score goals in the National Hockey League, guys. It's that simple. And then of course the one other goal was scored by who guessed it? Joe Valeno, who's been on a little bit of a heater here. And that's a conversation we got to have too is Verano right around the corner, Fabry presumably around the corner as well. You got three guys who are waiver-exempt, and all three guys are playing like bona fide NHL, or at least two of the three. Soderblom, yes and no at times. It depends, but it's going to be really tough to see who they call down. Excuse me one second as I cough. So it's going to be really interesting to see, but we're not going to talk about that right at this instance. Joe Valeno's goal came off sustained zone pressure, and that is something that, we as Red Wings fans and Scotty and I in particular have been talking about for a long time that the Red Wings have got to do better. If they want to score at five on five and score at five on five more uh, consistently, the Red Wings have a habit of scoring a lot of the time off the rush. Um, Jonathan Bergeron's goal, in fact was scored off a sustained zone pressure, get in the offensive zone, set up cycle. And that is exactly, I remember seeing a graphic after the first period, after Pittsburgh was up four to nothing, and Bally Sports Detroit, John Keating pointed it out. Zone cycles, that was what Pittsburgh was killing the Red Wings at. The Red Wings were killing Pittsburgh in every single statistic, including faceoffs. which Red Wings have not done a whole lot this season. But zone cycles, Pittsburgh was doing a magnificent job at. And the Red Wings came out in periods two and three and dominated that facet of it. They got in the offensive zone. They established pressure, didn't just score, shoot the puck, not get the rebound, and then have to break back out again. Because the Pittsburgh Penguins are coming back the other way. They sustained zone pressure. You know, Ben Chirat, you know, was able to keep that puck in the offensive zone on Joe Valeno's. But, you know, prior to that, they were cycling the puck, making passes happen, shooting the puck. Joe Valeno was able to take a, um, I think it was a Ben Chirat intentional pass out in front and redirected. It was a great look by Ben Chirat, But that goal doesn't happen if the team doesn't establish zone, zone presence. The same thing on Jonathan Bergen's goal. You know, it was a little bit of a lucky bounce off of, uh, I believe, Elmer Soderblom. It technically is unassisted here. Um, I don't know if ESPN is 100% accurate, but I believe it came off Elmer Soderblom's skate to Joe Valeno. It was kind of a lucky bounce. But again, sustained zone pressure, net front presence led to a goal. And that's how you score consistently at five on five in the National Hockey League, is zone pressure. You can't just score. Skate in the zone, shoot the puck and expect to score every single time. It's great that you can do that. That's still a phenomenal thing to have, but it should be supplemental to sustained possession. Sustained possession is how you win hockey games. And that was two of their five goals in this game. The other two power play goals. That's something else we've been hammering home as special teams. Again, supplemental five on five presence is where you need to thrive if you want to win, but it's great supplemental ways to winning hockey and the Red Wings had two power play goals in this game against a Pittsburgh Penguins team that hadn't allowed a goal in like four games or something. I can't remember what they said on the air, but it was like four games or something like that the Pittsburgh Penguins hadn't allowed a power play goal against, and they allowed two in this game. Uh, Dylan Larkins was a little bit of a flutter, a little bit of luck. Raymond and Hronick got the assists on that one. David Prawn's later, he was in his spot. He was in the left dot. That's his office. You know, I mean, I don't know if I, I can actually call it the office, his office because it's Ovi's office, but David Prawn makes a living um, there as well, a discounted living compared to Ovechkin, but a living nonetheless. And he was ready for the rebound and it came right to him and he buried it for the game tying goal with less than five minutes left to play in regulation. So those things combined led to, you know, a, a great comeback. And then of course, going into overtime, I thought Andrew Kopp was going to bury that. I can't believe Andrew Kopp hit the the post. You want to talk about a Ford who is uh, snake bitten. It's Andrew Kopp. He has been consistently putting himself in a position to succeed offensively and just can't find a way to bury the puck. I think he has, what, two, maybe three goals on the season so far? Uh, I know he's starting to get some apples. Obviously, he got the apple on Jake Wallman's overtime winner. But for them to come back down the ice the other way, Magnus uh, Halberg just stones them and then come back the other way, and Andrew Kopp feeds him a beautiful—all Wallman had to do was redirect it. He didn't even shoot that puck. A beautiful feed and a great job by Wallman to sneak past the defenders— put on the afterburners, get behind the defender. So all he had to do was redirect it. A great feed by Wallman, or a great feed by Kopp, great awareness by Wallman, and a great redirection. And he finishes it off by doing nothing else but the gritty. And I can't believe I saw that on national television, or local television, but I can't believe I watched that on television, is a National Hockey League player celebrate his goal, his game-winning goal, by doing the gritty. And, you know, Jake Wallman continues to be one of those players that just, again, I, I talk about it. He goes, oh no, oh great, oh no, oh yes. Like he's such a flashy player and it comes in moments, but, and he had a couple moments early in the game that had me, you know, shaking my head, but he he made up for it, man. That overtime winner and great call by Lalone to put him out there because he has the offensive upside. So if you want a defenseman out there who's going to try and win you hockey games, Jake Wallman's a great candidate. Him and Hironic both are great overtime uh, candidates to try and win you a hockey game. So you know, I'm, I'm happy for woman getting the opportunity and he's definitely played well enough lately to get that, you know, look at some more of the advanced numbers in this game. Um, uh, Dylan Larkin, Michael Rasmussen and David Perron's expected goals, four percentage in this game, 85.20%. Their top line in 1246 of five on five play had an expected goals for of nine point nine six and expected goals against of 0.17. That's how dominant. Your first line was in this game. That's incredible, considering that they're playing against a first line against not even not even a first line. Let's let's take that out of it. You're playing against a team that has Malkin, Crosby, Latang, and Brian Rust on it. All four of those guys are phenomenal players, and I would take any one of those pl- players on the Red Wings in a heartbeat. And the Red Wings dominated those players. It, 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 M- Malkin and Crosby didn't have a single point in this game. How often have, as Red Wings fans, we've been able to say that? Crosby and Mulkin, two instantaneous Hall of Famers. Maybe Letang, too, probably Letang. Not a single point in this game. I mean, that's that's great to see. That is absolutely great to see. You talk individuals that absolutely shine. Obviously, Larkin and Rasmussen. Again, Rasmussen continuing to prove his redemption arc has been great. Um, whether it's at center. Whether it's at wing, whatever he's doing, he has been playing phenomenal this year, and he's playing top line minutes with Dylan Larkin, and his chemistry with Larkin has really shown. His hands have improved massively. His skating, I will, I will scream it to the moon. His skating has improved so much since the years prior. Michael Rasmussen was second on the team with an expected goals four of eighty five point seven eight, and a Corsi four of fifty five. Corsi was a lot closer um, across all metrics for both teams. Uh, the highest Corsi 4 in this game, obviously, went to Dill Larkin at 58. But, you know, expected goals for weights those shot attempts for quality. And that's where you get the uh, 85%. Um, obviously, big part of that is Larkin actually had a goal in the game, which is why his was 85%. But Michael Rasmussen and David Perron also had an expected goals 4 of 1.3 and 1.32. Martin Rasmussen didn't have a goal in this game. So, that you know, that first line played great. Phil Peronik had an expected goals for 1.56, a goal and a half. Ben Sherratt had an expected goals for 1.61. You know, Michael Rasmussen's expected goals for the one. His is so high because he missed that cross crease attempt. I I guarantee you that's why his is so high, but without a single goal against. I'm curious why Ben Sherratt's is so high. I'm curious what shot he took. I can't remember off the top of my head that would have qualified him for that high of an expected goals for percentage. But, you know, at the end of the game, There's only a handful of Red Wings that put up poor numbers on the uh, expected goals for percentage. Not that that's the end all be all. I mean, first period, for instance, the Red Wings outshot the Pittsburgh Penguins, but it sure didn't look like it on the score sheet as the Pittsburgh Penguins heavily outplayed them. Sometimes the eye test is a better is a better uh, litmus test for how well the team's playing than the statistics. But you know, only a handful of these players statistically had bad games. Pew Suter man an expected goals for relative of negative 46.27 that was a his whole line was really um underwhelming this game oscar sunquist had a really bad turnover late in the third period to center to the middle of the defensive zone that almost caused a goal and sustained pressure in the defensive zone had the red wings on their heels right after they had tied it up that made me really nervous that line probably was really really weak but the rest of the lines looked pretty solid you know that fourth line of uh, Valeno Bergeron and Rasmussen or not Rasmussen, sorry, Soderblom continues to produce those young guys continue to produce and lines one and two looked pretty solid. So, you know, outside of that first period, guys, I, I have nothing but good things. I know I teased I know I got to go to break again, but I teased this evolving hockey, uh, probability chart. So I will pull it up and show you guys what I'm talking about here, but look at this probability chart that the Red Wings have. <laughs> it was at one point percent at two different points. It was 99% for certain the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to win this hockey game. And then the Red Wings, you can see it right here. They score the tying goal, and then it drops all the way down to here that the Red Wings are probably going to win. That's borderline 0%. I'm sorry, this is after the third period ends. I'm a, I'm a doofus. Um, this is where it is at the end of the third period. It's still on the, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins' side, just barely, but then obviously it dips all the way down. So to see it go from 99% to 0% in the course of, honestly, what is what? Five minutes of game time here from maybe about probably about 10 minutes from halfway through the third period towards the end of overtime is incredible and just really is a great visual to show you how much of an improbable comeback that was. And in fact, I think the Red Wings tweeted it out or the NHL tweeted it out that that was the first time in Red Wings history that they completed a four goal comeback to win the hockey game on the road. So the first time the Red Wings completed a four-goal comeback on the road to win—that's incredible. And it was an incredible game. And I'm, I'm, you know, despite the shortcomings, which you have to acknowledge, that first period was. It was an incredible hockey game. And the way they responded in the second, third period is probably is is definitely the more important feature. So when we come back, the Red Wings do play again today. By the time you're listening to this against the Buffalo Sabres, so I got to preview that. But whoo, what what a game! What a win! Absolutely phenomenal stuff. So stay tuned to Lockdown Red Wings. Segment three: Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Again, I'm sick, guys. Still, still recovering from illness. So give me a second while I, I get a cough out. If Scotty was here, he could have talked through that, and he would have pointed out that I was coughing, which would have been super handy. But Scotty's not here. Um, yeah, the Red Wings play the Buffalo Sabres on the second half of a back-to-back because, you know, God bless the NHL and their scheduling. And also, so the Toronto Maple Leafs got fined $100,000 because they traveled on the day after Christmas, which is technically not allowed given the collective bargaining agreement. I'm going on a tangent. And I-, I recognize this, and I'm sorry, guys. But I don't blame the Toronto Maple Leafs for traveling on the 26th when they had a game in St. Louis on the 27th. Like, what is the NHL? We talk, we complain about the NHL scheduling all the time. But what is going through their minds where they're like, they left at like 10.30 on the 26th, 10.30 p.m. on the 26th. And they're, they they just ate it. They ate the fine because it's more important for the team to get to St. Louis at a reasonable time and get well rested for the game than have to leave at midnight or later to fly to St. Louis and have less rest and be less prepared for the game against St. Louis. I, I would have done the same thing if I was Toronto. If the Red Wings would have gotten fined for that, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. You want to be ready for the game. If you're going to make it mandatory that teams can't travel on the 26th, then don't give them games on the road that are hours away the next day. It, it just makes no sense. But anyways, I'm going off on a tangent. The Red Wings play the Buffalo Sabres. We're currently fifth in the Atlantic Division, right behind the Detroit Red Wings. This is a team that lost eight in a row not that long ago. And honestly, last I checked in on them, that is what I remember happening. But since then, you know, they've been hot and cold. They've been hot and they cold. They've been hot most recently. They're on a four-game win streak, and their situation of the Red Wings coming into this game is very similar. Now, the Red Wings were losers of six before finally breaking that against the Tampa Bay Lightning, where the Buffalo Sabres were winners of four, but they lost. They had two games postponed due to the same winter snowstorm that we here in Michigan experienced. It was more cold than it was snow. We didn't get nearly, at least on the east side of the state, southeast side of the state, we didn't get nearly as much snow as uh, was predicted. I think we got like three inches, something like that. But the cold and the wind and the ice uh, postponed two games, one against the Lightning, who the Red Wings had just beaten, and the Buffalo, or sorry, the Columbus Blue Jackets, their Buffalo. So they're going to be in the same position. We are now in the position the Pittsburgh Penguins are in, and the Buffalo Sabres are now in the position the Red Wings are in. They had an extended period of time off. They're going to be well-rested. The Red Wings are coming off a second, or coming off a back-to-back. Now, unlike the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Red Wings won the game, and an incredible fashion. And the Red Wings are historically, at least this season, at least this season, I won't say historically, but this season, the Red Wings are have been very good on back to backs, on the second half of back to backs. They tend to win those games. So, you know, this is the makings of a, a very interesting matchup. And I talked, I first thing I opened the show with, or one of the first things I opened the show with was talking about momentum versus rest. And we're gonna see tomorrow what is gonna what what is gonna win out. Are we going to see the Buffalo Sabres team with that's going to be well-rested after more than a week off? Or are we going to see the Detroit Red Wings team uh, that has won two straight games and won the night before and come in with the ball rolling? Is their fatigue going to catch up with them? Or is the Columbus Blue Jackets' legs going to be a little bit, you know, got lead in them because of the fact that they've had time off? That's going to be the storyline of tomorrow. Um, And one more thought, too. On the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins game as well, is the Red Wings actually won a game in overtime? I think that's like the second game they've won in overtime this season, maybe third. They have like seven overtime losses, which I think was is at was at the time last I had checked like tied for league lead in overtime losses. So great that they won the win, get they actually got a win in overtime. But back to the Buffalo Sabers, uh, they're three points behind the Detroit Red Wings so far. Um, Red Wings at thirty-seven points, Buffalo Sabers at thirty-four points, and. You know, they're not a team that you should underestimate. And I I stand by that because they got some really good players on that team. They're a really young team that I think is going to be very good in the next couple of years. They're not quite there yet, but man, is their core exciting. And the great thing about their core, so the Red Wings have like kind of paced their core out. So you obviously have like the first group of the new core, which was Larkin and Bertuzzi. And those guys came up in like 16, 17, 18. And you brought in after that, you have the next iteration of core. You had Phil Peronic. Um, well, and everyone else after that is kind of gone. So I guess just Philip Peronic. Um, and then after that, Lucas Raymond, Moore Cider, Then to come Simon Edinson. Uh, you had Almar Soderblom this year. Joe Valeno last year. So, you know, you've had a couple different. And that's how you normally want to do it. Is you want your, your, your new core to be a mix of... Um, Young, young guys and really young guys, I guess is the right way of saying it. Well, the the Buffalo Sabres, they do have that, but they have a lot of really young guys. Um, You know what? No, I take that back. I don't know if I can call that necessarily true because I I keep having it in my head. And this is this is a, a fault on my part. I always think Rasmus Dahlin is super young, but he's not. He's been in the NHL for quite a few years already. So they do have that 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 multiple iterations that the Red Wings have. They have Rasmus Dahlin. Um, They have guys like Dylan Cousins. They have guys like Owen Power, obviously. They have a lot of young guys. And then, of course, they have Tash Thompson, who's in 32 games played, has already got 50 points on the season, 26 goals, 24 assists. He, I don't know, man, Last year was an explosive year for him, and I was when they signed him that big long term contract in the offseason. I was like, I don't know if you want to do that for a guy who has had one good year and a bunch of you know subpar years prior to that, but he has proved to be the real deal. And honestly, if you just get like two more really good years and he goes back to being whatever, I'd still say that's a win because you know, when you sign those types of contracts, you pay those players to be that player now. Cut, I, I my, my big comparable is Miguel Cabrera of the Detroit Tigers. When you signed him to that long contract, you knew when he was approaching 40, he wasn't going to be hitting 40 home runs. You're paying him to hit 40 home runs in the present while you were trying to win. And the Buffalo Sabres are trying to build a winner right now. So you're paying Tage Thompson to be really good now and in the next few years. So if he continues this up, I don't care what the last four years of that contract looked like. It's going to be a win if he continues to play like this. It's incredible. Um, again, Rasmus Dalin, 37 points in 31 games. He's just a incredible dynamic. You got Jeff Skinner, Alex Tuck. Uh, God, just there. They're an exciting young team. And if you're, I, I always hesitate to say this about the Buffalo Sabres because they've had just abysmal attempts at rebuilding over the years. But they have really found themselves kind of almost, I don't want to say luckily, because obviously you intentionally draft Dalin. You intentionally draft uh, Owen Power. But drafting, but trading away Jack Eichel felt like a net loss. Obviously, things had soured between them, but Jack Eichel is the number two overall pick and very good. He needed that surgery. They wouldn't let him get it. And he's playing great with Vegas, but it felt like a loss. I mean, Alex Tuck came over, and he's been great. And you got lucky that Tage Thompson turned into this superstar. You wouldn't have realized. You traded away Ryan O'Reilly, who was presumptively part of that core at the time. If things have just kind of—I won't call it luck because that would be discounting what the general manager, general managers, have done in this process. But things have really fallen into place for the Buffalo Sabres. I'd be really excited if I were a Buffalo Sabres fan. Um, but I've kind of gone on a tangent here, not really talking about the game matchup itself. Um, they in, in net, Craig Anderson at what forty-two years old has a nine twenty-two save percentage. He retired, and then decided a week later he was going to unretire for one last ride. I—I I, I don't. He's I think I said this last time we previewed the game against the Buffalo Sabres, but I I joked that he was like the Tom Brady of the NHL just without the rings in that. And I I don't mean to draw comparables to, you know, the greatest football player of all time. What, seven Super Bowl rings. But the fact that he is playing at this caliber at his age is the part I'm comparing to. 42 years old and a save percentage of 922 is absolutely incredible. I, I cannot wrap my head around the the way this guy is playing hockey right now absolutely phenomenal um obviously the red wings got blown out by the buffalo sabers earlier in the season uh, 8 to 3 um and then lost in the shootout to the sabers most recently 5 to 4 so the red wings have two more opportunities to break even on the season series um t- tonight will be obviously be chance number 1 and then the second chance will be late in the season in april so this is a team that you look at the red wings should be able to beat they should be able to beat the buffalo sabers without a doubt um, but you haven't done it so far this year and it's time to do it. You know, the momentum's on your size side. Yes. You're coming out and you're playing a game off a, a game last night. So you might be a little bit fatigued, but no excuses. You got to win hockey games, but, uh, Buffalo Sabres have the ninth best Corsi four percentage at even strength in the league and expected goals. Four percentage of 48.96 at five on five. So just slightly below, uh, that 50 percentage marker. So they're a very good. Even strength hockey team. Um, So yeah, you just gotta. The advice here, guys, is the same it's always been. I don't have some magic formula for how you're gonna beat the Buffalo Sabers. The way you're gonna beat the Buffalo Sabers is play a complete sixty minutes and don't shoot yourself in the foot. That's that's the brand of hockey the Red Wings are gonna be winning winning with this year. Is don't shoot yourself in the foot and play a complete sixty minutes. There you have it. I got a cough. So yeah, that about sums up my thoughts. Thanks for bearing with me on a. um, I'm sweating. I'm, I'm literally sweating right now. Um, I, I've been sweating on and off all day, part of being sick and getting over being sick. But thanks for bearing with me on this uh, post flu. I tested negative for COVID twice. So post flu, post cold uh, podcast as the Red Wings complete the overtime victory five to four over the Pittsburgh Penguins to win two in a row. Jake Waldman does the gritty. Uh, we'll, we'll be back with a new episode tomorrow. Scotty should be with me then. Same time, same place. It's your team every day.